0: Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel, at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDhelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Hello and welcome to our TIFF Talk tonight. Thank you for joining us. We're very excited. We are actually here on campus at the University of Texas at Austin. What a beautiful campus we're at. As Ascension Seton and UT Health Austin Digestive Health. And today we're very excited to have our special guests. We have Dr. Tripp Buckley and Dr. David Tang. Thank you so much for being here. We're very excited. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So. Before we start, I do wanna give a little bio of both Dr. Buckley and Dr. Tang so you guys know where they're coming from, and then we'll talk a little bit more about your program here. So, uh, Dr. Buckley is the Surgical Director of Digestive Health, a clinical partnership between Ascension Seton and UT Health Austin, the clinical practice of Dell Medical School at UT Austin. He's an associate professor and director of the heartburn and esophageal disorder center at dell med and specializes in anti-reflux and esophageal surgery assisting patients suffering from gastroesophageal reflux disease otherwise known as gerd and dr tang is a gastroenterologist at digestive health and an assistant professor in the department of internal medicine at dell med. He specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of patients with pancreas and biliary conditions and disease as well as acid reflux. So again, thank you guys so much for being here. We're very excited to talk with you today. So before we start, I'm going to kind of let you guys talk about your program here and, and what you do and who you see. So I'll take it. let, let you guys take it over.
1: Sure. Um, well, this is really exciting. So thanks for having us again. Um, When I, uh, Dell Medical School's uh, brand new, and uh, when I was recruited here, uh, one of my goals having treated uh, reflux disease and GERD uh, from a surgical perspective was really to bring GIs and surgeons together. And so that was the concept behind uh, digestive health. And so that clinic uh, has GIs and surgeons working in the same space. um, And uh, again, we have a medical and a surgical director. Um, and we do everything in lockstep together. So that's okay. super excited, yeah. uh, super exciting. Um, and then with, under digestive health, we have the heartburn and esophageal disorder center, okay. which again is uh, GIs and surgeons working together, collaborating to diagnose and treat uh, patients with uh, GERD and other esophageal disorders. So. Uh, Dr. Tang and uh, the GI group are integral to uh, our success, and uh, we were lucky enough to recruit Dr. Tang as well. And now we're doing um, lots of procedures together, including uh, the TIF procedure.
2: Yeah, thank you. And you know, I want to agree with you that um, one, of most... <laughs> 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 one of the most one of the most you know impressive things about uh, our our program at Digestive Health is that we're able to bring together gastroenterologists and surgeons. Mm-hmm. You know, we're literally in the same space and we work together um, not only you know taking care of the same patients but also in the background developing protocols to more effectively and efficiently and streamlining the care of patients you know with heartburn and esophageal disorders certainly but with uh, lots of other digestive disorders as well
0: that's fantastic yes the collaborative approach is uh, rising in popularity for these patients, um, we're having a foregut surgeon and also a gastroenterologist, kind of collectively looking at the patient and um, personalizing the approach of treatment for GERD. So, uh, you guys are very, you guys are in good hands today because we have both perspectives. So we're very excited. So, let's go ahead and start and talk about GERD. Um, what is GERD, and you know what are patients generally suffering from if they have GERD?
2: Yeah, well, to me, GERD is uh, acid reflux that causes frequent and bothersome problems. So acid reflux is when stomach acid travels back upwards into your chest and your esophagus, and it happens to all of us from time to time. But when it happens very frequently and it results in a lot of symptoms, then we call it GERD. Um, And it can cause lots of different symptoms. Some of the classic symptoms of GERD are heartburn and regurgitation. Heartburn meaning, uh burning in your chest and regurgitation is that feeling of stomach contents traveling backwards and washing up into your chest and mouth.
0: Sure, yes. And oftentimes patients or, or physicians even talk about um, non, uh, uh, what, do, what do we call it? Uh, like LPR or non-classic symptoms. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because there's a lot of patients that ask about LPR or non-acid reflux?
2: Yeah, definitely. So what I just mentioned, heartburn or regurgitation are considered the classic symptoms of acid reflux or GERD, but there's certainly lots of different symptoms that can be attributed to acid reflux. And this is, I think, uh, where um, it's very important to have objective testing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these symptoms have to be, um, you know, we have to differentiate them being caused by acid or then being caused by something else and thankfully um, you know there are ways to objectively measure for example how much acid enters your esophagus or mouth and in that way we don't have to guess you know we can know for sure whether or not your uh, symptoms uh, are caused by acid reflux or not.
0: Perfect. What, uh, do you want to talk about the diagnostic testing that you do to determine if a patient
2: does in fact have GERD? Yeah, if you have classic symptoms and you've never been treated before, then um, you know we the diagnostic testing is in essence a clinical judgment. So you know we will say that hey, you have heartburn. It sounds like heartburn. You know, we'll give you some medications and other advice, and and you know see how you do. But. You know, if that doesn't work, or if you have these atypical non-classic symptoms, what we generally do, um, one of the things we do is pH monitoring. So in that situation, we would um, actually place a small sensor inside of your esophagus. This can be done with or without a camera test. Um, And then over the next few days, two days or four days, we monitor how much acid enters your esophagus 24/7. And then you can also tell us when you have a symptom, or when you're eating, or when you're laying down, and then we can try to match up those symptoms with acid entering your esophagus to see if those symptoms are, are you know, well, well matched up in timing with acid entering your esophagus. And, and that's the way we can determine objectively if you know, most of your symptoms are from acid and, and, uh, and proceed from there.
0: Thank you for that. And you know, you guys have a somewhat unique uh, approach to it, right? Because if a patient was suffering from GERD, would they come see you as a GI first or would they come see you, Dr. Buckley, as a surgeon? How does that uh, collaboration actually work, if you don't mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's, uh, we have two pathways um, and, uh, you know, we have a, a number that you can call. Um, and, uh, and our folks that answer the phones are well trained in trying to differentiate. Do you need to see a surgeon? Do you need to see a gastroenterologist? A lot of our folks have never seen a gastroenterologist and so they're calling in, uh, you know, 512-495-GERD, and uh, they do it all the time. We've got five people answering the phones, but um, if you've never seen a gastroenterologist, we're gonna start with GI. Okay. And, uh, and kind of go through lifestyle modifications, maybe medication as uh, Dr. Tang mentioned. Some patients are calling and they've been to multiple gastroenterologists. They've been to their ENT doctor talking about, as you said, LPR or some of the atypical sure. symptoms of GERD, in which case they might uh, end up on our side of, uh, of the clinic. Okay. Um, and so it really doesn't matter because as also Dr. Tang alluded to, we have, we want to say that it doesn't matter if you see Dr. Tang or me, we're going to have the same treatment pathway for you. Okay. So you, you go on to a pathway um, and whatever's the best treatment for you. And, you know, we're focused here at uh, UT Health Austin on outcomes that matter to patients. And so um, we're looking to figure out what your goals are and and how we can meet your goals. And sometimes that might mean surgery, sometimes that's medication, optimization, and things of that nature. We also have, you know, mine, uh, we have nutritional medicine uh, and oh. nutritional therapy, uh, as well as uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, oh, even wow.
0: okay. uh,
1: for patients to give them the tools to, you know, kind of uh, fight their
2: disease process.
0: That's fantastic. Any anything else that you wanted to add to that?
2: I just, you know, again, I think that's a very important point because I think Dr. Buckley put it very well. It's the same pathway. We want it to be the same pathway. We want to, um, you know, tell patients. Um, the, the same sort of things, but you may enter that pathway in different places. So, as Dr. Buckley said, if you've never seen anybody for heartburn, then you may see me or one of my colleagues. But you know, if this is you, you've, you've uh, suffered from heartburn for a long time, if you really uh, know you are looking for a surgical solution, or if you had a surgical solution and it hasn't been working well for you, then you know you probably see Dr. Buckley first. But the, at the same time, you know you know, we're in the same place, we talk to each other and I think that's very important for the patients to get that unified message.
0: I love that, yeah, that's great, thank you. You know, you did mention uh, kind of the pathway, you kind of went through the pathway just a little bit, but can you talk about the uh, different options for treating GERD? So, you know, at first you were talking about lifestyle modifications and food aversions and whatnot if you do have GERD, and then how does that progress, you know, medical therapy all the way to potentially having a procedure, do you guys wanna touch on that?
1: We'll start here. I mean, I think everybody needs surgery, right? Uh, Right. No, I'm kidding, that's (laughs) not it at all. But uh, no, I mean, I think uh, Dr. Tang can speak best to the lifestyle and possible medication uh, treatments.
2: I think, you know, for most people with heartburn, um, the foundation of therapy is lifestyle uh, modification and and medications to some extent. Um, On the side of lifestyle modifications, um, one of the most important things is to, um, is to look at your body weight, actually. So we find that patients who, who are uh, overweight or obese can have a lot of pressure on their abdomen. And you can think of it as a hand around a squeeze bottle and you can sure. squeeze acid up into your chest and cause a lot of symptoms. Um, other lifestyle modifications exist, um, you know, including not eating meals right before bed, Um, sometimes the one of the most effective things is to just elevate your head and shoulders at night especially if your symptoms are at night and a number of other lifestyle alterations. Um, There are dietary alterations as well although sometimes those are very individualized so not everything applies to every patient. On the medication side certainly if you have heartburn and and you've never been treated before, we will recommend that you start with an acid suppressing medication for a certain amount of time. But I think in that situation, it's important for us to um, really follow up with you and, and see if it's working for you or not. Sure. And because if it is, and if you want to continue it, and that definitely is, is the, the, can be the way to go, but if you're not satisfied with it, or if it is working, but you just want a longer term solution, uh, then I think um, perhaps other procedural interventions can be discussed. So before you go into
0: procedural interventions, I do want to ask you because I know that, uh, and it's, it's close to me because this is where I'm at in my journey of GERD. You know, I went to see my general practitioner and I have not seen a GI yet for, for my GERD and I've been on PPIs. At what point, and I think there's a lot of questions from patients, what point should a patient decide, it's probably time for me to you know, go see a gastroenterologist and determine you really do have GERD. You know, because there's a lot of talk and a lot of conversation about long-term use of PPIs. So just curious to see what your thoughts are on that.
2: Yeah, I think uh, as far as when to see a gastroenterologist, uh, I, I think um, you know if you've been on acid-suppressing treatment and you have questions about it, or if it's not working for you. Um, or, if it is working for you and, and you wonder if there's anything else to do, then that would be the time to see a gastroenterologist, certainly. And, you know, long term safety of, of uh, proton pump inhibitors, PPIs, is definitely a very serious topic. And it's one that gastroenterologists and, and other physicians have investigated in detail over the last several years. I would say that um, we have to. Um, look at the, um, there's two things we look at in that aspect. One is, does this association exist at all? Because there are some associations that have existed in some studies and not in other studies. And then we also have to look at the degree of how you're affected with these things. So some adverse events, you're at a risk for maybe about 20% more or 30% more, which seems like a lot, but in absolute numbers, maybe you went from you know four out of a hundred thousand to five out of a hundred thousand sure. chance um, so the standard advice i give patients who are worried about chronic uh, ppi use is to make sure first of all that you are on ppis for a good reason so f- for example if you have classic heartburn and uh, or classic GERD symptoms and you are on a ppi and it's working for you mm-hmm. then it can be an option to continue Although I would say that if you are worried about the long-term side effects and you want to explore other other therapies, then that definitely is a very, very legitimate pathway to go down as well. Yeah.
0: I feel like you're talking directly to me.
2: <laughs> he was, in fact. He was, wasn't he? I'm
0: taking it a little personally over here.
1: And our friends out there. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and if I could just add to that, yeah. I, you know, I think um, that when you think about PPIs, it's really easy to dumb down GERD into just simple, I've got GERD, PPI, and uh, it really becomes complex. So to your question, like when to seek uh, additional advice, your gastroenterologist, you know, there's lots of different strategies to, you know, start with a PPI and then come down to the lowest dose. I mean, some people are started on the most powerful PPI right out of the gate. Well, maybe we can get you on the lowest dose, or maybe we can get you onto an H2 blocker, like Pepsid or Zantac, which is back on the market. Um, Or down to lifestyle modifications plus occasional, um, you know, Tom's Rolaids and and things like that. So, you know, I think that's where it becomes a little bit more sophisticated and and possibly within the realm of PCP, although they're really busy. So uh, to, you know, go to somebody who is dedicated to that disease process might be a legitimate uh, answer. I
0: love that. I love that. So... Now on to the fun part, right? Yeah, we oh yeah. are. <laughs> Let's talk about the procedures, or what? What are the different options that are available today um, for the treatment of GERD? Uh, obviously, past you know medical therapy and food, you know, lifestyle uh, modifications, but not, uh, and then moving into kind of what's available today.
1: Sure, um, I'll pick up where uh, David left off, which is, you know, PPI therapy. PPIs are highly effective at treating the symptom of heartburn and uh, most people are going to get relief um, when they uh, take their PPI appropriately. And that's the other part of uh, PPI therapy is taking it appropriately, absolutely. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but we also know from the GI data that about 30 to 40% of patients are going to have breakthrough symptoms On, uh, on that PPI. Well, do they just need a little extra help in terms of timing or lifestyle modifications, or are they truly, you know, we don't think about them as truly refractory, that's a term out there, refractory to PPI therapy, but rather, you know, are they just breaking through? Do they have regurgitation that PPIs are not gonna take care of? Because of course, any medication is not gonna stop reflux, it just is changing the symptoms. Um, and so, if your, our goal is symptom control uh, from a heartburn standpoint, PPI should take care of most of that. And and you know, again, GERD gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. I mean, some patients have a hypersensitive esophagus, so that's where either uh, on our side, uh, on the surgery side, or more commonly on the GI side, we can treat uh, the hypersensitive esophagus uh, as well. And so, not everybody needs uh, surgery. I um, you know, the residents always uh, joke with me like how many more people are you going to talk out of surgery in a clinic today and, and we really are looking for that ideal patient uh, from a surgical standpoint um, but when you think about surgery the data is clear that surgery is as effective and probably more effective than medication in the treatment of just long-term GERD and that's actually in the current GI guidelines um, there are new GI guidelines coming out and I'll put a plug in for the American College of Gastroenterology And the group led by Phil Katz, but those guidelines should be out even as you're watching this. So you can go on to the American College of Gastroenterology and look for those new guidelines. We're really excited to have uh, updated guidelines. Right. Um, But so you know, theoretically, you could apply surgery to probably about 14 million um, you know Americans out there today. Is that the best thing? It's not actually the way I practice. So even though you know we do over 200 anti-reflux cases a year. I think I'm gonna do around 260 or more this year. Um, We we don't apply it to someone just coming in saying, hey, I think I'm uh, just not happy on my PPI. We really try to look at their needs. um, And then we go through the objective testing that uh, Dr. Tang mentioned. So pH testing, esophageal function testing. So that's often manometry. Um, and so we, you know, we have all that stuff here in one location, and so it's really nice. Um, when it comes to surgery, we have also a lot of different types of surgery that we can look at. There's the classic fundoplication. Right. Um, most people know about the Nissen fundoplication, uh, and you know, there's really about ten variants that we actually, sure. I actually perform uh, here, okay. and um, that become a little bit more customized to patients' needs. Sure. Those have a very bad reputation out there and somewhat deservedly so. Unfortunately, the data from large centers like our own is that those surgeries work and they work well. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of expertise, a lot of training to get good at them. Right. Um, and so they have, a, unfortunately, a bad reputation because out in the world at large, you know, the uh, sometimes the outcomes don't match the data. Okay um so that's also bred a lot of different types of uh alternatives so you can have uh radiofrequency ablation uh and therapy down at the lower esophageal sphincter there's uh, something out there called uh, LINX, uh which is a magnetic uh, beaded bracelet there's of course the tiff procedure uh, which seems to marry the best between gi and surgery um and so we're really excited uh to be able to uh, offer a the the, the tiff procedure but also literally everything under the sun um, right. uh, here at uh, UT.
0: Fantastic. Let's talk about the TIF procedure a little bit. That's why we're here today. So um, maybe Dr. Tang, you can tell us how it works. Uh, and um, also, you know, we didn't mention the hernia part of it. And, yeah. and do you want to maybe discuss that a little I'll bit? I'll touch together? on that after Dr. Okay. Tang uh, talks, us, uh,
1: talks us a little bit about TIFF.
2: Yeah. Uh, so TIF, uh, transoral incisionless fundoplication, is a fundoplication, like Dr. Buckley was talking about. And so a fundoplication is, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> it's, it's where you take the fundus, the top part of the stomach, and kind of wrap it around itself and recreate a bit of tension in your gastroesophageal junction. And uh, TIF, the device, allows an endoscopist to do that uh, from the inside of the esophagus. Um, so uh, it's um, you know for a for a uh, an endos- an experienced endoscopist it's actually a fairly straightforward procedure, and um, uh, you know it's it's um, actually uh, you know the results at least from the inside of the stomach uh, uh, look very very good. So um, I think it's exciting because um, for me, it's, it's you know, like we we're talking about collaboration uh, on the uh, clinical side. Um, you know, Gastroenterologists, we don't, um, when we come to procedures for GERD, we mostly do the diagnosis and the testing and not so much of the therapy. And so this allows me to participate with uh, Dr. Buckley in the direct therapy of uh, someone with heartburn as well.
0: That's fantastic, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, um you know, the, uh, the procedure, uh, the Tiff procedure, there, are, um, there is a small segment uh, of folks that would benefit from just a straight TIF. Right. Um, however, what we've learned, especially uh, more so in the last five years, but really going back a long time, is that the GERD barrier is two components um, in its simplest form. So one is the diaphragmatic pinch Um, and then there's the lower esophageal sphincter and so often patients uh, have a hiatal hernia and even if you can't see a hernia on an endoscopy or some other diagnostic test um, usually the diaphragm is radially dilated so there's just a little bit of opening so it's not pinching the way it should so we really think about uh, all of the surgical therapies involve fixing two things one is that diaphragmatic pinch uh, and the hiatal hernia uh, and the other is addressing the sphincter, and that's the beauty of the combination uh, TIF procedure is that we're addressing both. Sure. Um, so myself, uh, as a surgeon, will go in and uh, repair a uh, hiatal hernia, okay. um, and then bring. I think this is another key is bringing down. The lower esophageal sphincter well into the abdomen. Sure. Um, that does two things. One, it creates a lot of length, and uh, without getting into a lot of uh, physics, um, you know that the more, the longer your length of the GERD and uh, the GERD barrier, the better the patient's going to be, mm. and hopefully there, there's a reduction in risk of a recurrent hernia. And then uh, Dr. Tang uh, does uh, his magic from the inside. And uh, I'm a big proponent of this collaborative approach because I think uh, while I do endoscopy and I you know, have a skill set there, I think it's best left to the, uh, the yeah. pros. <laughs> and, um, and that it also helps uh, with that patient because now we own that patient together. Right. Um, and, uh, and we've been doing it for a little while and it's been fantastic and we're really excited to be participating in some research studies as well, um, which is our approach here in
0: general. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Can we talk a little bit about uh, post-op? You know, patients often wonder what is it going to be like after the TIF procedure? I've heard about this TIF diet. Is it going to be really that bad? Um, What are the things that you recommend um, for patients um, for the diet? A, And then um, the second thing is what is post-op as far as physical activity goes? Can they go back to work right away? Um, do they need to stay away from doing certain exercises so i, I suppose it might be different with a hydrohernia repair or, or it may not be so i'll let you guys kind of discuss that
1: yeah i mean we do all of ours in combination um as a combined procedure because right. we feel strongly again that the that diaphragm has uh, plays a big role whether you can see a hernia or not um, and so really the post-op is very similar, uh, if not exactly similar to that of a fundoplication. And you're right, patients kind of get freaked out about uh, the diet, so I'll kind of <laughs> just go through it. Yes. Uh, but basically these are day surgeries. So you come in on a day of surgery, go home same day. They are not debilitating surgeries at all. Um, I've undergone two anti-reflux procedures myself and I was back operating six days after each um
0: Super over here don't no, tell no, these no, patients. i'm that. a wimp uh, anybody <laughs>
1: anyone will tell you that uh, and uh and so um you know any surgery is you know anxiety provoking and a little scary but um at the end of the day it's you, the recovery is very fast we have patients on a liquid diet um immediately post-op and that sounds terrible too, uh, but having been through it myself, I can tell you it's not. And it's interesting because the part of the stomach that we use to create that fundoplication, whether it's a classic uh, laparoscopic fundoplication or that uh, by the TIF, that area of the stomach is what sends out signals of whether you're full or not. So patients really are just not that hungry. I've heard and that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's really not a bad week. Yeah. Um, but any liquid any is okay. Uh, patients do tend to lose about 10 to 15 pounds, that's right. Okay. And it's not, again, because they can't get the calories in, it's just that they're not particularly okay. hungry. Yeah. Um, and then it's just a progressively uh, progressive diet, so usually by four to six weeks, you're back on eating normal things. Sure. We always tell folks, you gotta slow it down because we have recreated that sphincter and we've got an obstruction there, both to reflux, uh, but also to food. So yeah. if you were like me and a food inhaler, uh you you got it you'll learn quickly it's all the good food over here you doc. just gotta you just gotta slow it down is all um yeah. and uh, activity wise um you know it's just no heavy lifting greater than 10 pounds for three weeks but um but really we uh you know we want people up moving around and being their normal selves yeah
0: wonderful thank you uh interestingly enough i heard another doctor say something about chewing your food so it's almost like a life lifestyle change if you will that they say get back to kind of eating healthy and and trying to not have big meals and smaller meals at more periodical times or whatnot.
1: Uh, absolutely, I mean, that's why we have our nutritionist involved in the vast that. majority of our patients. So she's helping uh, them uh, both uh, preoperatively and postoperatively. Oh,
2: fantastic.
1: Um, and, uh, you know, again, to the weight issue, we are working with them on, you know, again, uh, on all fronts uh, okay. to, to really help out um, and uh, get you through that and get some good healthy habits uh, yeah. moving forward.
0: Healthy habits, absolutely. So one thing, um, we get a lot from patients is what happens uh, if you don't treat your GERD, untreated GERD? um, You know, you may want to touch on Barrett's. I mean, I know it's not a direct correlation, but then also um, I'm saying that because uh, GERD Awareness Week is this week during Thanksgiving, you know, when we're most gluttonous, (laughs) eating our turkey and and casseroles and whatnot. Um, And then we also kind of, had awareness around esophageal cancer, which was in April. Um, Can you kind of talk about the connection of, of of not esophageal cancer, but how, what GERD, from GERD to Barrett's to, you know, I'll let you talk about that, Dr. Tang. Yeah,
2: so there's a number of consequences that have been connected to uncontrolled GERD. Um, the, but the vast majority of people who uh, don't control their GERD just only have symptoms, sure. probably about 80%. And so in those patients, even if you feel very poorly, even on the medicines, when we do endoscopy on you, we will find a normal esophagus. But I think that's, you know, that's bad enough if you have to suffer through daily life with you know, debilitating heartburn right. symptoms. It is also associated with actual damage to the esophagus as well, to a much uh, smaller degree. You can have uh, a damage in the esophagus we call esophagitis. That itself can lead to other consequences, such as a scarring or narrowing of your esophagus. You can also be associated with this condition called Barrett's esophagus, which is the change in the lining of your esophagus from normal to something that's not normal, and that itself uh, may place you at a higher than average risk for esophageal cancer. So there's not a um, uh, there is a uh, there's not a one to one. Yeah, there's right. no, I don't want you to think that if you d- don't control your heartburn, it's it's you're definitely going to get Barrett's esophagus, and then you're definitely going to get esophageal cancer. That's not the case. But um, it is uh, those those things are associated to some extent.
1: Yeah, I I have Barrett's myself, so okay. uh, I've got all the GERD things. Um, <laughs> the
2: <greatest.
1: laughs> so, about you know fifteen twenty percent of patients with GERD will have Barrett's esophagus. Okay. And Barrett's esophagus, uh, as Dr. Tang said is, you know, you don't have to think, oh my gosh, I'm going to die of esophageal cancer, but it's exactly like having a colon polyp, mm. and so. Um, you know, to your point earlier of when to go see your gastroenterologist. I mean, you really want to go find some professional help, uh, see your gastroenterologist because uh, if you've been, if you're, you know, had GERD for five years and it's uh, you've been treating with PPIs, you still, I, I would personally, it's not exactly in the guidelines, but I personally would recommend that you are could have an endoscopy sure. um, and to make sure you're not covering something up I mean most people that develop Barrett's and esophageal cancer have been on PPIs and they've never had an endoscopy so right. um, you know and if they find Barrett's then we're gonna put you in a follow-up program mm-hmm. and so just like with a colon polyp you're we're gonna do endoscopy um, to make sure that that Barrett's is not progressing on to cancer so okay. you know Barrett's is not uh, you know uh, to be uh, taken lightly, but it's not a, a death knell or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I and and we do get a lot of patients coming in saying, "Oh my gosh, I've got barretts. I need surgery." Surgery is not an anti-cancer operation. I think there's more data coming out to suggest that, uh, for sure, uh, surgery is more effective. Um, when you look at Barrett's then medication, uh, in terms we see, often see regression and we again map that uh, every time we do an endoscopy and I think we've got some data coming out on that and there is data out there already. So I think that Barrett's is just a harbinger that you've got significant and severe GERD and uh, and you know, it, you should be followed. So um, yeah. that I think that that's the big take home point uh, yeah. there.
0: Thank you. Uh, one of the whole reasons why we do these TIFF talks is to raise awareness around GERD. Um, and I think one of the biggest things we tell patients is to be your own advocate, right? Um, there's no, you know, with colonoscopies, right? 50, now it's gone down to 40, everyone should get it. There's, they don't have that kind of guidelines, right, for, for upper GI. Um, so we want to just educate um, the population about GERD. And if you are suffering, there are other options from just being on medical therapy forever or just you could never have your favorite glass of wine anymore and order that spicy food or the barbecue here. So um, before we conclude, I do want to give you both an opportunity to, um, you know, if you had one word of advice to patients that are out there that are suffering and don't look directly at me like you're talking to (laughs) me about this, I'm just kidding, but no seriously if you had any advice um, to the patients that are watching today what would that be
2: if you have heartburn and and you have symptoms that you're not happy about then you don't need to suffer in silence or try the same thing you know year after year and for a long time come see a gastroenterologist or a surgeon see a professional who deals with these problems all the time, and there may be plenty of things that we can do for you to investigate your condition and to help your condition. So I think that, that would be my big message. Fantastic.
1: I'd probably have the same message. I'll just uh, emphasize that, you know, from an economic standpoint, uh, GERD is only second to all digestive cancers in the economic impact uh, on the, uh, in the U.S. Uh, GDP. And whether it's sleep deprivation or miswork, work, um, lethargy, um, and then just pain and suffering. And so, yeah, go and, uh, and find, uh, seek out some help uh, because uh, the answers are, are out there. And there's lots of different treatments uh, these days for that. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's about improving quality of life and uh, and the answers exist so uh, you know we're happy to help and and i'm sure your local uh, gi and or surgeon is happy to help as well
0: fantastic thank you well that uh, is a perfect segue if you are suffering from gerd and uh, you're in the austin area obviously you can come see um, these fine physicians here Um, but if you're not in the area and you're trying to find a tiff trained physician you can go to our website it's gerdhelp.com There is a physician locator on there, and you can put in your zip code or you can search by state, and you'll be able to find a TIF trained physician near you. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDHELP.com or download our GERDHELP mobile app. Thanks for tuning into another episode of TIF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD help. Live well, GERD free.